the Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus, full of stories and love for all. Good evening, you're listening to Virgin Radio Pride. My name is Christian Hugill. For the next hour, we're going to be talking about football. Now, don't worry if you're not a football fan, this show is still for you, because I guarantee if you're listening to Virgin Radio Pride, there will be something discussed in the next hour that will ring true to you. Now, firstly, let me take you back 12 years. In December 2010, it was announced that the biggest football competition on earth was going to be held in the Middle East for the first time. Qatar beat Australia, Japan, South Korea and the USA for the right to host arguably the most prestigious sporting event in the world, the Men's Football World Cup. Now that decision was unpopular for a number of reasons, not least the heat. That is why the World Cup has been whacked clumsily in the middle of the football season and will happen this November into December, not summer as it normally is. Also, there have been doubts over the human rights of workers building the infrastructure. There were corruption, even bribery allegations around the selection process. The list goes on. Now, we're not going to talk about every controversy in this programme, and that is not to say that one controversy is more or less significant than another, but this being a radio station that celebrates the LGBT plus community and also talks about some of the issues around it, we are going to focus on what it means for LGBT plus people for the World Cup to be held in Qatar. And you will be glad and relieved to know that I'm not alone to talk about it. Let me introduce you to my panel of LGBT plus football experts from the LGBT plus football fan group of Tottenham Hotspur, the proud Lily Whites, and also of Kick It Out, which tries to kick it out, well, kick out discrimination in the game. Chris Paros. Chris, hello, welcome to you. Hello, Christian. Are you well? I'm really well, thank you. Are you excited for the World Cup? Not particularly, but we'll come on to that. (laughs) Football writer and journalist and one of the biggest names in in global sports football writing, The Athletic, Adam Crafton. Hello, Adam. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for being here. Um, I bigged you up there nicely as well. Do you like it? Well, you bigged up the publication more than me. Yes. (laughs) I tell you what, one of the biggest global names in football writing... Adam Crafton. Better, getting there. Of The Athletic. (laughs) We'll work on that throughout the programme. And not here in the studio, but joining us from Birmingham, chair of Sports Media LGBT+, a group of LGBT plus sports journalists, um, of which myself and Adam are proud to be parts of, John Holmes. John, how is Birmingham today? It's beautiful and sunny and uh, all very, very exciting. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Now, it's lovely of you to not be here, but in Birmingham and joining us via the wonders of the internet. And, John, we will explain why you're in Birmingham and talk a little bit about that later. Um, but first, let's look at why the World Cup being in Qatar is a big deal. Um, I want to start off by reading this extract on LGBT plus rights in the country from Stonewall, the brilliant LGBT plus charity. I should say... Stonewall uses a zone system to categorise different countries and their attitudes and laws surrounding LGBT rights. So, it says Qatar is classified as a Zone 3 country, which means sexual acts between people of the same sex are illegal. To help put this into context, it's important to note that two further zones exist. In Zone 1 country, sexual acts between people of the same sex are legal. In Zone 2, um, in zone two countries, sexual acts between people of the same sex are legal, but no clear national employment protections exist on the ground of sexual orientation and a couple of further notes on Stonewall um, from uh, on Qatar from Stonewall I should say Qatar runs Shahira courts where technically it is possible that Muslim men could face the death penalty 
for same-sex sexual activity. Trans people cannot change their legal gender. The government can prevent LGBT people from entering or even deport LGBT people from Qatar on the grounds of their sexual orientation and gender identity. So I'm going to ask you guys here to go back to 2010. Based on what we've just learnt, what was your reaction to Russia getting the tournament, especially as the last World Cup was held in Russia, where, of course, similar concerns about LGBT plus people exist. Adam? Yeah, I mean, I suppose from my point of view, I was around 16 at the time. Um, I know I was a, a inverted commas straight teenager. Um, so I'm not sure I was really thinking about it, to be honest, in terms of what does this mean for the world of football. I actually, if you just look back at the conversations at that time, no one was really talking about Russia and Qatar in relation to LGBT issues. Everyone was talking about the fact England were part of the bidding process, um, certainly for the 2018 World Cup. There was corruption allegations. Uh, there was a whole scandal around FIFA that ended up in court. Um, so I do think this is a conversation that has come as the events have got closer. Um, you know, I don't really recall at the time that there was big questions being asked of Qatari ministers around their regulations and legislation on LGBT rights. The questions were all about how the World Cup was won. So I think it's a recent conversation and, you know, it, it's one that's becoming more and more prominent as the, as the World Cup becomes closer. But it also feels like, you know, outside of this conversation, as the football gets closer, it's the kind of conversation that will tone down as well because people like to talk about the football. I'm a little bit older than Adam, so mm -hmm. I wasn't a teenager in 2010. But I think he's absolutely right in the sense that that wasn't necessarily something we were talking about in a in a very public way there wasn't public discourse around it i think if you talk to people who were lgbtq plus rights activists then actually you know it was a big sort of kick in the teeth really from fifa to go russia qatar mm. it's like a it's like a one two of saying you know that's you're you're irrelevant but also i think you know you said it earlier the world cup is held in the summer and to Adam's point, it was more about like, how is this awarded? What's actually going on here? Because you bid for a World Cup and it's supposed to be in the summer and then you get the World Cup and go, oh, do you know what? It might be a bit hot. So let's sort of upheaval. In, I understand it's only the European calendar that's in, in upheaval. Um, um, but, you know, like we ha can't underestimate what the impact of, of Russia was as well, because actually, you know, not so not long after... Um, you know that that happening in 2010, as we saw what happens what happens in Chechnya, we've seen like what the, you know what's happened since, um, and and actually if we look at the World Cup as being sort of a vehicle for trying to amplify stories and amplify kind of what's go what's happening for LGBTQ plus people, um, for women, for other minorit for minoritized communities out there in the world, actually we haven't done a very good job. Because as Adam's just said, what you end up getting closer to it and just saying, well, we'll just talk about the football and, you know, is this really football's responsibility, etc. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think in, in over the last few months, last couple of years, you know, I've had a, quite a lot of dealings now with people who are involved in, in running this World Cup, people who are involved in Qatari investment around the world, whether that's at Paris Saint-Germain and things like that. And I think the more you speak to those people, the more you do start to hear some of their their points of view. Now, we will never agree with the idea of outlawing the way we are, the way we're born, 
um, and things like that. But there's there's a clear tension, I think, in Qatari society around the people that want to modernise, the people that want to mm. bring things into, I suppose, the Western economy and take all the opportunities that come with that. And then another part of society that is almost this hardline conservative Islam uh, ideology that makes it very difficult. So there is this tension. I'm going to come back to that in a little while. That's something I want to talk mm. about a little later in the programme. Let me just bring it back to you, uh, John. What was your first reaction in the, taking it back to that 2010, John, that, those early days? Well, I was just going to say, I think 2010, it was such a different time for yeah. football. And uh, all the things that we're more familiar with now in, in the UK games, such as LGBT fan groups and, you know, rainbow visibility uh, in terms of captain's armbands and rainbow laces, none of these things existed back in 2010. So I think when the tournaments were awarded to Russia and Qatar, it was almost like a reinforcement of the prevailing mood there that football was not a place for LGBT people to exist in and there was no representation, there was no even conversation around this aspect of inclusion. So it, it kind of really brings it home as to how much progress we've actually made, certainly in this country in the last 10 years or so in, in terms of, of improving the game as an experience for LGBT people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just kind of, also, I can remember, and Adam alluded to it, the conversations around FIFA itself and, and the way that it, it behaved. I mean, I think Blatter's, Set Blatter's kind of comment was around, well, just don't be gay if you're going to, to Qatar. I think that was that was that was Thanks, kind Powell, of yeah, cheers. And also, you know, he was also saying things around, you know, with the women's game, like they should be wearing shorter shorts and all that kind of ridiculous stuff. So, you know, the landscape of football has just changed immensely since then. And now it feels like Qatar is, of course, having to try an attempt to rapidly play catch up with some of these conversations. And it's just clearly not equipped to do so. And um, as I say, I want to come back to the Qatari response in a little while. And for those who aren't football fans listening to this, obviously, Seth Blatter, um, president of FIFA, is the person John was referring to there as i say we'll come back to the response in qatar and i think that's a really interesting point as to how to look at countries who do host big sporting events i cover a lot of formula one and we also look at that with the likes of saudi arabia so i'm going to come back to that but first let's bring it back to the present day there's an article that is from the guardian it was published on the 29th of june 2022 the Guardian in this article say Qatari authorities have failed to give a guarantee to travelling LGBTQ plus supporters that they will be safe at the World Cup, prompting leading organisations to advocate against travel to the tournament. The Guardian presented the Supreme Committee, the body in charge of organising the World Cup, with a series of direct questions related to LGBTQ plus fans and their concerns, but received no specific answers. The questions included whether... LGBT plus people will be protected by authorities if threatened because of their sexuality. Whether articles of the Qatari Penal Code, including those which outlaw lending or instigating or seducing a male in any way to commit sodomy, would be suspended during the tournament. Whether fans carrying rainbow flags would be allowed to take them in stadiums. And whether the Supreme Committee would specifically welcome LGBT plus people as World Cup visitors. So those specific questions were not answered. We should give the right of reply. A general reply said everyone will be welcoming Qatar in 2022, regardless of their race, background, religion, gender, sexual orientation or nationality. We are a relatively conservative society. 
For example, public displays of affection are not part of our culture. We believe in mutual respect, and so whilst everyone is welcome, what we expect in return is for everyone to respect our culture, value and traditions. So the question I'm going to ask you now, guys, is how safe are LGBT plus fans in going to this World Cup? Adam. I don't, you know, I can't sit here and, and tell people they're going to be safe or they're not going to be safe. I mean, I, I'm going as a reporter for the full for the full tournament. Um, am, I, am I worried about that for me? Not really in that, you know, I'm going to do my job, right? Yes. So, you know, if I, would I go with a partner and be trying to book into hotels? I think I'd probably a bit more, be a bit more anxious about that. Um, you know, in terms of these assurances that they've given, not given, I think the language has always been intentionally vague from the mm. Qatari side. You know, they if you look at any literature websites, you'll very rarely, if ever, see, you know, the acronym LGBT, LGBTQ anywhere near it. Um, it's always everyone will be welcome. I think to be fair, that statement's probably one of the first times I've actually seen sexual orientation even mentioned. It's usually just everyone will be welcome. Um yeah, will people be safe? Like it's just not for it's not it's only the Qataris that can tell that can tell f- football fans that, and and people are going at their own risk, which is a horrible thing to have to say, but it's the reality. And Adam, you wrote on the thirty first of March, twenty twenty two, on the Athletic, an article headlined "World Cup Supreme Committee Accused of Failing to Respond to Requests from LGBTQ Plus Organisations." So this is this is a, an ongoing trend, isn't it? This kind of keep things vague. Chris, do you think that's a purposeful approach? Yes. Um, everyone is welcome is a really good soundbite. Mm. But actually, what does it really mean? Because we don't know if we're going to be safe. I imagine it will be fine because the world's watching. But it's not just about public displays of affection or not being culturally sensitive. I'm also thinking about what what about LGBTQ plus Qataris? What is, what is this for all of them? And I'm sure we can come on to that. And this isn't just about fans. It's about journalists it's about people in you know team ops there'll be plenty of team ops who are likely to be lgbtq plus and the thing that slightly concerns me is that you know we've had these uh, some vague assurances adam's just said but if you go back to december 2020 i think there was a deliberate there was a statement that said there would be no problem with rainbow flags in stadia and then you fast forward about six months and it said actually we don't. We're not really sure, but we don't want rainbow flags as a protest. Mm. How many rainbow flags makes a po- protest? I don't know. And now come back to come to where we are now. All of that has actually fallen away again. And it's like, well, you know, be sort of culturally sensitive, which I think is absolutely right. Um, but my concern is just to make sure that we don't turn this into something Islamophobic as well, um, because what you're talking about is a is a is an oppress I think this is my personal opinion not the opinion of any organizations mm. to which I am affiliated um what we're talking about is an oppressive regime rather than Islam yeah. that actually um you know has a, a kind of a tight hold on its citizens including its LGBTQ plus citizens including the women in the country um and so that's what I'm concerned about is as we get closer we're sort of further and further away from any assurances of safety um because I imagine that it's like you know the the reality of it is becoming clear in in Qatar and and they're not particularly up for um us being there with you know with I guess what the impression might be of you know draped in rainbow flags with feather boas Mm -hmm. Adams have you packed yet 
Uh, I've, I've not packed yet, but you can, <laughs> no. you can, you can uh, provide my suitcase with whatever you like. Well, there are many brands of uh, feather boas available. John? Uh, well, just kind of, yeah, building on those points, I suppose we're looking at the practicalities and the specifics when, when a country and an organising committee says things like everybody is welcome to come to our tournament. I mean, we're, we're talking about a country that probably at best would like to operate under a kind of don't ask, don't tell kind of approach to these to these matters. And I say at best because there's, of course, multiple layers of, of difficulty uh, in terms of being LGBTQ plus in Qatar, whether you're a Qatari citizen or whether you're an ex, um, whether you're someone that works in the country and, and, you're, and you're a foreigner. So when, when I talk about practicality and specifics, I mean things like if you're trans and you're going to the tournament, of course, you're going to have concerns over border control and coming through there and, and perhaps your gender identity doesn't match the gender marker on your passport, these kinds of, of issues. And we're not just talking about, of course, the UK, we're talking about, you know, fans traveling there from all over the world, from US, from Canada, from Australia, um, lots of other places um, across the globe where the LGBTQ plus rights are so much better um, than in Qatar itself. And then the other practicalities, I mean, accommodation, there's huge question marks still over where fans will be will be uh, put in terms of um, staying over. Will they be on a cruise ship? Will they feel safe in terms of uh, being outside of the stadiums? Uh, we don't know. Um, and then it's about meeting people. I mean, using dating apps, uh, which is something we'll be very familiar with here in the UK. But of course, in, in Qatar, those apps exist, but the whole culture around them is very, very different. And there would be a potential risk, inherent risk in using that and potentially being lured into some kind of difficult scenario which could of course that, that kind of eventuality could could arise still to come we'll get the panel's view on what can be done about some of the concerns we've just raised if anything um, but first we're coming to the end of this summer's run of virgin radio pride of course you won't have heard all of it and we forgive you for that we know you're very busy people but if you search for virgin radio pride cast wherever you get your podcasts from you can see what they've done there kind of it's terribly mm. clever you can hear some, some of the virgin radio pride highlights from this season. Um, this is Virgin Radio Pride and our LGBT plus football World Cup preview. I'm Christian Hugill and we're going to do something that I think might be the first time this has ever been done on the radio. We're not just going to talk, we're also going to play some music. I think this could catch on. <laughs> I think this is a good idea, so stay with me. I've asked all three of my panel to pick a song. I didn't give any other... It's a bit like Desert Island Discs, really. It's like, pick anything you like. It doesn't really need to be a reason behind it. I have never created such a sort of furore in a WhatsApp group before. It was <laughs> one like... Song, one though. song, One song. It's impossible. Uh, yeah, but I loved it. Oh. I really enjoyed that it was such a difficult thing. Um, so, Adam, um, we've, you know, didn't have to be related to football, might be, but Adam, uh, what's your song choice, please? Well, I thought because it's Pridecast that I should go for something related to LGBT... Uh, LGBT issues in some way um, so I've gone for an Olivia Rodrigo song Hope You're Okay which is I think it's a gorgeous lyric um, where she's almost like writing to friends from her childhood that she'd kind of stop speaking not stop speaking to where you just sort of lose touch with people and you wonder what's happened to them along the way and it's I think it's a really really pretty lyric and I hope you enjoy it this is Hope You're Okay Olivia Rodrigo on Virgin Radio Pride you ready Virgin Radio Pride Hello, this is Virgin Radio Pride. I am Christian Hugill and we are in the middle of previewing the Football World Cup 
From an LGBTQ plus perspective with a panel of football experts. From The Athletic, we have Adam Crafton. Hello. Hello. From Proud Lily White, we have Chris Paros. Hello. Hello, hello. And the chair. I struggle with this, John. I always mispronounce the title of the group. I don't know why. Could, John, who are you? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm a journalist and I also lead on a network group called Sports Media LGBT+. Which I, I don't know why I struggle to pronounce. I don't know what's wrong <laughs> with me. Anyway, I'm part of the group. It's ludicrous. Um, right, in the first part, we heard quite a few concerns about um, the safety of LGBTQ plus people who may choose to go to Qatar as is their right to support England or whoever their team is during the World Cup. Um, I suppose my next question, starting with you, Adam, is can anything be done to potentially improve their safety between now, August, and the start of the competition in November, or are we too late? Um, Well, I imagine a lot of people would already have booked if they were going to go uh, by now. Um, I think there's still things that can be done. You know, there's still assurances that can be given. Um, I, I think... You know, assurances over, as John said, around border control. I think assurances of if I'm in Qatar and I decide to go and meet someone um, who is who is a man, and I'm <laughs> and the police see that, what's going to happen to me? Because we still don't really know. I mean, we know what the law is. We have, I think, we probably have an impression that during the World Cup, a little bit like Russia all the bad things that may normally happen may not really happen equally you know i was i was on hol- i was on holiday in barcelona a few weeks ago and i got talking to uh, an icelandic gay couple um in my hotel and they'd been out in doha a few months before one of them was working out there and they said you know their this just their experience they said they'd booked into a hotel together they'd gone for dinner together absolutely no issues um and a little bit like john said earlier sort of a uh, don't tell policy a little bit like the old sort of US US army approach um, equally they were white and I think mm. there probably is you know a more lax approach to if it's uh, Muslim men Qatari men um, who are caught in these settings compared to you know people who are flying in and trying to be given an, imp- an impression of the country yeah I think I think um, I think Adam's spot on there and the thing for me is I think we need to insist on some kind of a safety message and have it properly documented because I think once it's documented and out there then it's something that we can we can hold we can hold each other to account on it because that matters because everyone is welcome is fine but actually what we need to know is that everyone will be treated fairly and equitably um and you know to Adam's point there as well you know the thing that's really important to me and it's something that we've got to kick it out um Qatar working group that we you know we've been sort of running for a, a number of months now and one of our objectives is some kind of a positive legacy for LGBTQ plus Qataris because I think if we talk, think about big um, sporting competitions whether that's the Olympics the Commonwealth Games or the World Cup one of the things that you always talk about when you bid for something is what's the legacy and I understand that the legacy is sometimes infrastructure and it's sometimes more people participating in sport. But actually, when you're, you know, we know that there's an LGBTQ plus community in Qatar. So actually, how can we do something positive um, with and for them? Mm. So I know there might be something that John's got a view on, actually. Um, well, I mean, I, I can only really think about the, the positives that we can achieve during the tournament itself. And, and the one thing that I would hope we could at least have is a space in which to kind of discuss some of these challenging issues um, in in Qatar itself, in Doha. Now, I mean, at the World Cup in 
in Russia, there was no Pride House, uh, but there was a diversity house. FIFA did manage to convince the authorities um, to have a space where you know diversity and inclusion could be discussed about in a football context. Now, there's been no indication that a diversity house um, is going to exist at this tournament, but it's something that FIFA should be pushing for. I think it should have been mandatory as part of the um, uh, as part of the bidding process. But of course, back in, in 2010, there was no there was no kind of allusion to kind of diversity and inclusion issues. So it's something that I think is, you know, the amount of money that FIFA is making from this tournament, it's its showcase tournament, it's its big money spinner that funds all the uh, activity across the across the FIFA family. It should be demanding a space where at least these, these conversations can be had because if we can't even um, have the Qatari authorities mentioning the initialism LGBTQ+, um, this everyone is welcome uh, message is just there to kind of cover up the fact that it won't refer to sexual orientation, gender identity. As Adam says, there was that kind of reference, I think, to sexual orientation is one of the very few um, sort of moments where you actually see the Qataris use those use that language. Um, you know, we need to kind of push push back on that. And, and it should be FIFA that's doing that. John, you mentioned the word pride house there. Now, we'll return to the World Cup chat in a moment. There is a reason you're in Birmingham. Not that you need a reason to be in Birmingham. It's a perfectly lovely part of the world of which you can go anytime you like. But, John, you've gone there for a particular reason. Uh, what is that? Yeah, so I'm part of the team that's um, that's created and is, and is managing the pride house venue and projects here at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. And pride houses, if, if your listeners don't know too much about them, started back in 2010 at the Vancouver Winter Olympics. And it's a space, it's a hub um, for people, whether they're athletes, spectators, coaching staff, whoever involved in a multi-sports event to come to, to um, a venue and feel like they can be their authentic selves, but also have these important kind of discussions and conversations around human rights. And um, of course, the Commonwealth Games is a particularly important event in which to have a Pride House because of the huge challenges across the Commonwealth in terms of LGBTQ plus rights. Where can people find out more, John, should they like to, about the work that Pride House in Birmingham does? Yeah, so Pride House Birmingham, um, there's still information available about the project and people can find that out. And then there's an umbrella kind of group called Pride House International that um, is kind of a, a destination points for all the different pride houses that exist across sporting events and i'm such a believer in the importance of lgbtq plus spaces and their existence i think it's a brilliant thing john well done to you and the team it's a lovely lovely thing you have also selected a piece of music john i have so mine is not very lgbt sort of focused but i suppose my my relationship with football um when i was growing up it was the space where you know i didn't feel able to be myself not until my early 30s and and that was that was a huge challenge for me. So I'm picking a song that means a bit to me in terms of geography, because my club is Plymouth Argyle. And the first kind of one of the first gigs I ever went to was a was a gig by this band at Plymouth Pavilions. And it's also the song title is about the road that goes from London down to Devon. The song is 303 by Cooler Shaker. You ready? Virgin Radio Pride. Kuda Shaker and 303 on Virgin Radio Pride. Hello, I'm Christian Hugill. That is the choice of John Holmes as we preview the Football World Cup from an LGBTQ perspective. This is something that's come up quicker than I thought it would do um, in this programme. We, we've spoken a lot about, look, there are there are LGBTQ plus people in Qatar. Um, back in December of last year, I cover a lot of Formula One. I did an article for the BBC where I spoke to some LGBTQ plus racing drivers, journalists about Formula One going to Saudi Arabia, of course, another country where LGBTQ rights are far from ideal, to say the least. It was one of those examples where 
a story goes a very different way to what I thought it would. And, and one of the people who I spoke to, a, a motorsport journalist called Hazel Southwell, who is brilliant, I would employ you to look at her work. Um, you know, she told me how she was, you know, furious when she first found out that Formula One was going to Saudi Arabia. But actually, that if we shine a light on these countries, well, actually ignoring them and blacklisting them from global sporting events hasn't really worked. And, you know, Formula One going to Saudi Arabia with a very clear message that the sport has now of we race as one can be a positive thing, that also it's a positive thing for LGBTQ plus people in Saudi Arabia. And that is a side to the argument I hadn't probably given a lot of thought to myself before. Um, you guys were the first to mention it earlier, Chris. You know, there are LGBT plus people in Qatar, aren't they? I'm guessing one of the maybe positives that might come from this is that they feel a little bit more represented by the Western world saying, well, hang on a minute, we need to talk about LGBT plus people in this country. Is that in any way a positive? I I can't tell you whether they're going to feel more represented by us being there talking about it because, you know, and, and you, one of the things that we could be being accused of is sort of our cultural imperialism for not understanding what the culture of Qatar is and going and talking about our queerness. Um, I think the important thing is is that there are there are queer communities in Qatar, and actually I don't know if they'll feel represented because they have to potentially be underground. But one of the things that we can do is help them to tell their own stories, which is something that Adam did beautifully um, with uh, with Saudi LGBTQ plus communities around the time of uh, the Newcastle um, takeover. Um, so I think that's really important. Yeah, and it's it's really difficult this question of whether sport, you know, whether sporting events should be taken or presented to the to these countries, right? Because you can come up with examples like Russia, um, like Saudi Arabia, where they've they've benefited, right? They've had these huge sporting events, concerts, whatever it may be, and nothing's changed, you know, from an LGBT point of view. People, you know, journalists may have gone, may have written about things, um, but nothing's changed. Um, in, in many cases, it's either stayed the same or got worse. Um, the flip side of that is you can't just blacklist countries forever and, and say we're never going to deal with you. Um, so, and as, actually, as Chris said, you know, I've spoken to LGBT people in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, who say, you know, I don't mind you coming here talking about gay things, but don't stop going on about, you know, all this woke agenda, the rainbow ideology, all this kind of thing. And I was like, whoa, I didn't expect to hear that. Yeah. You know, you, that's kind of... It's almost like what you'd expect to hear from a right-wing columnist slightly. and But they, they were saying, you know, come but do it within reason because actually if you go the full hog, you're not going to help us because the backlash will be so strong against it and we need to... This is a journey we're going on and we need to make incremental gains towards acceptance. A little bit like, you know, Britain hasn't gone from 1960 to 2021 in the blink of an eye. All these things take time mm. and time. And I know that's very frustrating for those, those of us who are sat here on a Pridecast wanting everything to be the way that we want it to be straight away. I think the one thing we also have to just like land at, while we're talking about this is that sports washing is real. Mm -hmm. And that's the entire, you know, one of the reasons why you do have concerts and big events is so because so you can sort of say actually look how we can put all of this on and everyone had a lovely time exactly to Adam's point that we can go there have a nice time and go back and and forget about it and actually you know I, I think it's really important that we're sort of internationalist about this and it's not about sort of imposing our our western values but it's about making sure that people can 
be themselves and be safe and their their lives aren't in like literally their lives aren't in danger and i think that's really important that's the thing there's a difference between imposing western values and having the right to just be safe and go and enjoy a football competition uh john yeah i mean i just obviously echo the points that adam and chris make really really good good points i'm i'm always just trying to listen to qatari voices in this particular um, conversation as much as possible I mean, I've got a huge respect for Dr. Naz Mohammed, who is a an activist, uh, former, uh, well, he's Qatari born and now lives in San Francisco and is using his platform to try to to educate people around the challenges that exist for LGBTQ plus Qataris. He's trying to kind of share some stories from within the country that he's been able to, to listen to. And he recognizes, you know, his privilege of, of, you know, now being on the West Coast of America, you know, he can say things about about the country that he would never be able to say if he was back in Qatar itself. Um, and and it's about, you know, us trying to understand that very difficult um, and complex relationship between Islam and, and being LGBTQ plus, you know, it's, it's very, very complicated. And the more that we can you know, we can try to amplify the voices of of um, LGBT people in the MENA region in general, and and try to learn from them. I think it will help us to not take this kind of Western approach of of thinking that we know this, we might know the answer, or, or that just some more rainbow visibility will bring about change in Qatar. That's just not realistic. It's really interesting with the rainbow flag situation because I think a lot of Western football fans want to go there. Who are you know who are either LGBT or allies and show that flag? Something I've really noticed, sort of dealing with online Middle East football sports over the past year or so, is the rainbow symbol is an incredibly is perceived as an incredibly divisive symbol in the Middle East region, right? So I mean, I've been sent sort of like memes of uh, LGBT uh, rainbow flags being burned and things like that and it's a real it is a real source of division and part of me wonders on the one hand yeah there's a big international message and in going there branching a flag showing who you are the other side of it is I, I do, I'm not sure actually what that will do to persuade those people in in the Middle East and it's not just Qatar it's the, it's the countries surrounding um, as as well to, to come with us on that on that journey um and that's not me saying don't bring rainbow flags don't stand up for who you are it's just a re- it's a really interesting dicey conversation and I, I i take your point i think the other thing is though it's a world cup yeah. and what you've got are you know hundreds of of cu- people like like millions of people from hundreds of countries watching in a place where being lgbtq plus is you know, is illegal. And if we, you don't have some kind of visibility, then are you then just sort of saying, well, actually, we're complicit in this? And I think that's the flip side, yeah. is that somehow we have to find that balance of saying, you know, we want to make sure that we are, there. there's something positive happening for LGBTQ plus Qataris. We want to make sure that whoever travels to the World Cup is safe. And we also want to make sure to all of those people that are watching from all over the world who might be struggling with who they are or, uh, you know, or who love football and think, you know, is football for me, that actually football is for them, that you're not just saying, okay, look, Russia, that one, two of Russia, Qatar, isn't just saying this isn't for you. It kind of brings us back to the, the very start of this conversation, you know, the, the difference in, in society uh, between 2010 and now. Um, you know, the world has raced forward. So the Western world has raced forward in terms of LGBTQ plus rights. But the kind of rainbow visibility that we have now, you know, across you know all different parts of society, you think back to when, for example, in the UK, 
um, we repealed section 28, the rainbow flag was not as visible and was not as kind of um, used so much in advertising and, and all these other different parts of life, you know, as much then. It's kind of like Qatar's on the same journey now. Qatar wants to be part of, um, you know, the international trading hub. It wants to be a place where people come and do business. It wants to kind of um, promote itself to the world, but it's not at that stage on the journey yet where it can, you know, introduce kind of um, sort of LGBTQ plus uh, representation into advertising and all these other elements of society. So we just got to kind of readjust. And that's why I think the diversity house uh, part of this is much more important than the rainbow flags. Okay, guys, excellent thoughts. Uh, you are listening to Virgin Radio Pride. We are looking ahead to the Football World Cup from an LGBTQ plus perspective. I am Christian Hugo, but Chris Paros, we're going to play a piece of music for you now. It's an excellent choice, I think. Um, explain a, a bit of the reason behind it. So, because we were only given one song... I'm sorry was, about that. It, was, it mortified me, to be fair, and I sat there for a very long time going, how on earth am I going to choose something? And then John chose something that was football-related, and Adam chose something that was LGBTQ plus related, and I thought, if I choose something football-related, it's going to be Chaz and Dave, and I'm not entirely sure that anybody <laughs> who's listening to this is going to want to listen to Chaz and Dave. And for those of you who don't know who Chaz and Dave are, look them up. Actually, very talented musicians. Saw them at a holiday camp at a, a Pontins once. And exactly I think that. Inside my childhood to be there. Exactly that. Um, so actually, I thought from an LGBTQ plus perspective, I am of Cypriot origin, like one of the greatest musicians this country has ever produced, George Michael. And George Michael wrote Freedom 90 at a time when I was in my uh, late teens and was struggling with my uh, sexual orientation. And so I've chosen Freedom 90 by George Michael. You ready? Virgin Radio Pride. George Michael on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm guessing on this radio station in the last few months, that's not the first time a presenter said that. I'm guessing. I hope not, anyway. I'm looking at producer Matt. I'll have serious words if... No, it's not the first time. Good. Serious words if not. I'm slightly obsessed with Desert Island Discs at the moment. I'm like the latest comer to it ever, and I've just, a couple of days ago, listened to his. It's exceptional, isn't it? Yeah, what a man. What a loss. Um, George Michael on Virgin Radio Pride. Hello, I'm Christian Hugill, Um, with you for another 10 minutes or so, looking ahead to the Football World Cup with a panel of LGBT plus experts. Um, an article on the BBC on the 7th of June spoke to Welsh LGBT plus fans who said they were planning to boycott the World Cup. Read you a little bit of it. Some Wales football fans are to boycott the FIFA World Cup in Qatar due to the host country's stance on gay rights. Wales qualify for the tournament for the first time in 64 years after winning their playoff final against Ukraine. And I suppose that shows you the strength of feeling that what a massive thing it is in particular for Welsh football fans to be going to this tournament, but not going to this tournament if they are LGBTQ plus and therefore deciding to boycott. Um, how effective would a mass LGBTQ plus uh, fan boycott be, Chris? I mean, I don't want to be rude, but would anyone notice? Mm. It's not like we've got a huge presence at World Cups. Um, I, as I said, you know, I think it's better to tell the stories. It's better to tell our own stories, tell the stories of LGBTQ plus Qataris, talk about LGBTQ plus inclusion more more generally than worry about boycotts. Um, because I think, you know, for a boy, any kind of boycott to work like properly, it has to have, you know, it has to be a mass movement and we're not going to have a mass movement. So, you know, 
great solidarity with with the Wales Wales LGBTQ plus fans who aren't up for going, but I'm not sure it's going to make any difference. I don't want to be rude, but no, I agree with you. I also. You know, we get it a lot as journalists, right? If you're critical of Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, whatever, they say, well, if you know, if you don't like them that much, then I bet you're not going to be going to the World Cup in yeah. in, in Qatar and taking all the hospitality and things like that. I don't know what hospitality they think I'll, I'll be getting, but anyway. Um, <laughs> in your five-star hotel <laughs> yeah, for the Athletic. Exactly. Um, and my, my, my view on this is, well, if we don't go, then, then who's, who, as Chris says, who will tell those stories? And who will ask those questions? And it, there is a risk that it just becomes, you know, a month of how great the football is. Isn't the hospitality lovely? Isn't everyone treating us nicely? As it, you know, as I felt it was a lot in Russia. You know, I, I look back at maybe the way that it was framed at the time, and I think, you know, I think there was a distinction drawn between the Russian people were great, and obviously the Russian regime is a very different is a very different story. I think the really interesting thing is going to be how the teams. Um, respond to this to this challenge there's going to be yeah. questions not only about lgbt rights but also human um the the migrant workers um and compensation for the families of migrant workers who have lost their lives and things such as that um so, so that's going to be the big conversation but the huge contradiction with all of this when we talk about england and wales is as john said the the, the british government has a hugely yeah. important successful economic relationship with the state of qatar Right, there are RAF planes that are going to be in the skies at, at Qatar, helping to protect the World Cup from terrorism. Right, the, the, the tie-ups here are huge. Yeah, you know, I think it's 1.5 billion uh, pounds worth of investment for British companies are coming out of this World Cup. So there's this huge conflict, and then we're sort of looking at I don't know Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling as like the moral arbiters of to, to basically make England look good, even though at the same time we're all sort of, as taxpayers, I suppose, massively benefiting from it. I, I just want to bring back to a boycott very briefly because I probably first realised I was gay in age 14, didn't come out until I was 20. And a massive part of that was, I think, and we've spoken about it a bit in this hour, representation. I knew sports and my love of sport was such a big part of my identity, in particular football and Formula One. And I didn't see anyone like you, Adam. I didn't see people writing about football who are gay. I didn't see people like me talking into a microphone who do sports journalism and are gay. And I presumed, well, you can't be gay and into sport. And that's why I think people like Tom Daly are so vitally important. And he was asked this question about boycotts once. Boycott you know, gets thrown about, as you alluded to, Adam, a lot in journalism. We'll just boycott it. But I remember Tom Daly saying, well, I was asked about this when I went to a World Championships in Russia. And for me, it was such a better response to go and yeah. um, stand on a diving board up in the air and win gold medal as a gay athlete and say, look, I'm gay. And by the way, I'm winning at my sport. I think that's an excellent point that he raised there and why I've never been personally a fan of the, the boycott also like we, we've spent so long in our lives being told or convincing ourselves that sport isn't a place for us like why on earth shouldn't we go right mm. like wh why should we accept that this isn't going to be a place for us just because there's people telling us that I kind of I, I hear that and I think it's different for you as it's because it's your job yeah. and you know as with your job you know your employer's got a duty of care I'm sure they'll have done their due diligence to make sure that you can go and do your job safely as as a fan I'm like it's you know it's, it's a lot it's a long way away 
It's going to be really expensive. I've got no idea what the accommodation situation is going to be like. So it's not a boycott. It's just like, I'm not up for it, frankly. <laughs> it's a bit I'm like, just, forget that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, not, I'm just not up for it. And that's fine. John? Well, I was just going to say exactly what Chris had just said. I mean, my, 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 experience, my experience of going to World Cups at France 98, uh, Germany 2006... And, and other international tournaments was about the fact that it was a festival of football. It was people coming together and, and celebrating, you know, our love for the game and and having a bit of a party in the fan zones, etc. This tournament is going to look very different. I mean, of course, it's going to be they're, they're going to make attempts to to make it look a bit like a party atmosphere. But I think, you know, that's not gonna that's not going to be the experience of people that go to the tournament. We've got those huge question marks over accommodation. People aren't going to necessarily feel like they can be there, be themselves, and party a bit. Um, in different um, parts of of the uh, of the country they're going to, and, and look, even if you can't actually get a room there, you're going to have to be flying in from from uh, Abu Dhabi, I think, you know, on day trips. It's, there's some, just so many question marks around this tournament that a talk of a boycott, um, you know, it's it's just not realistic for so many people to even think about going because of these prohibitive costs. We're we're approaching the end of our time. Um, I'm going to restrict you here to. 30 seconds each i very much like to try and be positive where possible in life what are the positives if any that have come out of this decision to host this tournament in qatar john uh positives if <laughs> john, any. john did um, the thing of going then <laughs> which i think shows you a lot about the question well i mean i've learned so much about qatar and, and the MENA region in general just through all the kind of different elements of uh, of this world cup but i think that's the possibly the best thing for us is to you know, the wider kind of Western society is to kind of educate ourselves around this, the kind of huge challenges that, you know, our fellow community members face if, if they if they live in these countries. And, and maybe maybe it is about us kind of changing our approach and trying to kind of come at it from a different angle rather than thinking that we can just fly rainbow flags and and somehow make life better for people that live in these countries. I, th- I think we need to take a more structured approach. And, and I suppose we're grateful that since 2010 there have been changes to bidding processes and if you want to host an international tournament like this in future you have to meet certain criteria i think morocco were trying to bid for the 2030 world cup and basically failed because of, for various reasons but one of which was the fact that their human rights do, did not meet the fifa criteria good 30 seconds <laughs> oh, the sass from Abby Crafton there unbelievable levels of sassiness chris i think that the best thing to come out of this from my perspective is it's given us a proper focus on whatever it is that we need to do to put um to work with fifa and uefa to help them better consider what that selection criteria looks like when awarding a country's major sporting events and i think it's given us a framework within which to do that in a really kind of much more focused way than we've ever had before Adam, make sure it's 30 seconds, please. Um, I basically just agree with John, um, which which is super useful, so he can have my 30 seconds. Um, just the, the other point is just, yeah, first World Cup uh, for the Middle East, um, which is, you know, a hugely symbolic moment, important moment in terms of, you know, giving that opportunity. You know, I think that in itself is okay. I think we should also kind of get over the fact that it's not in the summer. Like, that's okay as well. Like, when you strip it back, that, that it, we will get by. I think, um, as annoying as it is from like you know a barbecue and beer point of view. I'm not sure Chris agrees fully, but we haven't got time to get into that, <laughs> so we'll carry on. Look, have we solved anything in this hour? No, we haven't. But I am a big believer in the value of talking about these issues. Adam, you alluded to earlier that we have to tell these stories. I'm also a big believer in the value of LGBTQ plus people 
talking about sports because I think all of us on this panel will have gone through similar things as young people and going well maybe I can't be gay because I'm uh, into sport and maybe sport isn't a place where LGBTQ plus people can be well guess what guys it is so if you're listening to this and maybe you you know you're yet to fully come to terms with your sexuality don't feel that sport has to not be a part of that because trust me you can be gay and be anything lgbtq plus and be anything you like and i think it's really important to talk about these issues and i'm very grateful to virgin radio for giving us the platform to do it if you've enjoyed listening to this search for the virgin radio pridecast and scroll down a little bit and you'll find my documentary the rise of lgbtq plus football fan groups where we dig into a little bit of why not only have they become so popular but also why they are so important and in some cases so life-saving so do check that out on the virgin radio pride wherever you get your podcasts from. Chris Paros, I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Adam Crafton, I'm very grateful for your time. Stay safe at the World Cup, won't you? Thank you. Excellent. And John Holmes, enjoy Birmingham. Thank you for joining us from the fine Midlands. Thanks, Christian. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. This has been Virgin Radio Pride. I've been Christian Hugill, and we will see you very soon. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney+. Plus. Full of stories and love for all.